Good morning, church. All right, it sounds a bit livelier. Good morning, church. Hope you had some uh, coffee, some, some breakfast. Um, but more importantly, uh, let's, let's look at some real spiritual food, shall we? Um, we want to talk uh, about... Oh, yes. Let me bring my big bad boys right here. Never mind, let me get to that later. Uh, my name is Wayan. I'm one of the pastors in SIBKL. A lot of my uh, time and service is with one of our church plants, LifeGen. Uh, and so on behalf of LifeGen, we want to just send you our greetings, send you our love, um, and, and we want to just thank you so much for the, 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 the support and, and the love that you give us for us to grow as a church plant, uh, and, and we're really grateful for that. So greetings from LifeGen, um, and, and we want to look at the word today. We're on a series in the book of Luke, uh, and today we're going to look at Luke chapter 12, and I've entitled this message, Focus, Concentrate. Right, and I say it that particular way, because okay, I purposely put the exclamation mark there. Right, focus, concentrate. So everybody say, focus, concentrate. Some of you have done this. Yeah, excellent. All right, so let's do this together. Right? One, two, three. Focus, concentrate. Why? Uh? Why focus, concentrate? Now, the reason why is this. I was reading through Luke chapter 12, and, and I said, God, what, what are you saying here? What are you showing us? And, and as I'm going through the different passages, and I will share with you... Um, uh, what I feel God has spoken to me about, um, this phrase came to mind. Focus, concentrate. You know why? As I'm reading, I began to hear voices in my head. And they're fine, okay? Don't, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not delusional or whatever, okay? I began to hear voices in my head, and this voice came from this. So if you are not familiar, how many of you are familiar with this little toy? If you are, raise your hands. All right, Sean, Pastor Sean. Um, now, if you're not familiar with this toy, let me introduce this to you. This is the Boppet. Everybody say Boppet. Some of you in your, in your generation, in your time, Bop is a dance movement. That has nothing to do with the Bop. All right? This Boppet is essentially a toy uh, come game, uh, and it basically gives you instructions. Now, unfortunately, I cannot demo it for you today. Um, either they're out of battery, or it can be a bit... Uh, uh, noisy, and I'm using this headset here, but that's okay. Once the service is over, feel free to come and look for me. Um, but Bop It is essentially a, a little toy come game uh, that was introduced to me by our own resident SIBKL game master. How many of you know who that is? Pastor Lindy. I don't know if she's here today. Um, but anyway, Pastor Lindy, back when she was pastor of the campus ministry, Coos, when I, that I was in um, about 15 years ago. Um, she introduced Boppet to me and the, the, the few of us in, in, and the group of us in Coos at the time. And it basically is a game that tells you, gives you instructions on what to do. For example, it asks you to bop it, all right? So Boppet is pressing this little button at the front and slapping it, all right? It can ask you to twist it. Twist it is you twist this yellow piece here or pull it, so you pull this out and uh, shout it. So there's a microphone here, and, and you just have to shout into it. And so it picks up the fact that you followed the instruction, and then it gives you the next instruction. So it goes like, bop it, then you bop it, you pull it, then you pull it. It says, uh, twist it, you twist it. You say, shout it, you go, ah! And if you follow the instructions correctly, as and when, you're supposed to do it on time, right? So you, you're given a, a short window of time to do the instruction, you, it moves on. And the trick to, or the, the problem with this, or the challenge with this, 
is that it gets faster. So at some point, you'll be, pop it, pull it, flick it, put all that. Right? So it just, it just keeps on going. And the question is, for yourself, the challenge is, how long can you last? It's a very fun game. Um, I'm not advertising here. <coughs> Hasbro. Um, I'm not advertising here. But feel free to get one of these and, and play it in your cell groups or you know, your connect groups or even as, as, as kids or in your families. Um, it, it's really fun. It was so fun, we bought the bigger version. This is Bopit XT. All right, and it, has, it gives you more instructions, like flick it. All right, so no more twist, pull, shout, bop. It's flick it, spin it, and you just basically have to do this. And then there's the kind that goes pass it around, and you just, who, who, uh, if, whoever fails to follow the instructions correctly and on time, that person loses. Lah. All right, now, why am I showing you this? Because if you miss, and if you fail to follow the instruction, this little bad boy right here will tell you, Focus! Concentrate. <laughs> and as I'm reading Luke chapter 12, I start hearing voices in my head that come from this little boppet. Focus! Concentrate. The reason why I'm not showing you today is because it says other things besides focus and concentrate. <laughs> if you make a mistake, it will say things like, I remember when it was my first time, just to encourage you. Say, you're not too bad. Just keep on doing it. But when it says, focus, concentrate, it's not really scolding me, you know. It's, it's fine, all right? It's encouraging me. Like, next time, focus, concentrate. And so as I'm preparing Luke chapter 12, and I'm, I'm going through what, what I feel God is, is telling us today, um, I feel the word for us all is to focus and to concentrate. So everybody, just repeat this after me again, right? Focus, concentrate. Now you look at your right and your left, if the, if the guy is dozing off, just focus, concentrate. <laughs> Luke chapter 12. So open your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. That will be the main passage for today, uh, and I'll go through a brief overview of it, and then after we'll look into the three things that I feel God is speaking to us about in Luke chapter 12. Now, as I'm going through Luke chapter 12, I realize that there are a lot of times in our lives when we've always been asked to focus, right? We were always called to focus on something at any particular phase in our life, any particular period or time in our lives, we're always asked to focus on something. Like today, for example, you may have told yourself, look, I need my coffee because I need to focus on what Pastor Wayne is going to speak. Or if you're driving, I need to focus on the road and make sure that I get to my destination safely. Or if you're doing a task in the office and somebody comes and asks you to do something else, you say, oh, sorry, I need to focus on this. And, and we've been taught to do this, or we've been told to do this ever since we're kids. I tell my kids, hey, focus on washing the dishes. Don't go and you know, run around and play. Or focus on finishing your food. No, that's, that, that's like number one statement in the house. Finish your food. Focus on finishing your food before you do something else. Focus on this, focus on that. And so, and so they learn focus, or the word focus, right from the get-go. Some of you, you love multitasking. And the word focus is like, <laughs> I'm good at focusing on many things at the same time. And what Luke chapter 12 teaches us is that there are things that Jesus wants us to focus on. And the challenge he's giving to us is this. Can you focus on these things and not lose focus? Can you focus on these issues and not lose focus? Can you focus on what my purposes are and not lose focus? 
And before I explain to you these three things that I feel God is saying to us today, I want to ask a very important question. And that question is, why should we even focus on what God is calling us to do? Why should we even do this? The reason why I ask this is because we do things in our lives, we focus on things in our lives because we decide that this particular thing that we've got to focus on takes priority over something else. And so if your colleague comes to you and says, hey, I need help to do certain things, and you think that your job at hand now is more important than what your colleague has asked you to do, you would say, sorry, I've got to focus on this, I'll help you later. But for some reason or another, you've decided that this this is a priority compared to whatever new thing has, has, has taken your attention. And so we're always challenged to ask ourselves, why do we focus on something and not the other? And the challenge becomes even more real when Jesus says, focus on these things, and you've got to ask ourselves, why does this take priority? And when you think about it, maybe the first answer that comes to your mind is, because he's Jesus, ma. Because he's God. Because, you know, he's, he's God, lah, right? So if he's God, then everything I do, I must, everything he says, I must obey. And yes, that's true. But my question then to you is this, who is God to you? Who is God to you? Because when we walk out of this church after this wonderful place of atmosphere of worship and, 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 and hearing and letting the Holy Spirit make the word come alive to us, we walk out of this place and what is your next focus? Lunch. You wake up tomorrow morning and you stretch out of bed and what is your next focus? Well, your food. I'm like, I'm trying to get to work on time. Or whatever it is. And the question then is this, why does food or why does work take priority in your life at that period of your time, of your life, at that period of time? And in that season, can I still say that I want to focus on what Jesus has called me to live out? It, 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 foundationally, it comes from who is God to you. So I want you to, so this is a little meditation, a little devotion that, that I, I, I've been going through over the past two or three weeks. Um, and so I want to share this with you. It's not on the slides. I want to encourage you to just keep your finger on Luke chapter 12. Turn to Psalm chapter 63. Psalm 63. This for me in, in, in recent times is uh, for me one of the reasons why I, I want to remind myself that I want to focus and prioritize what God has called me to do. Psalm 63 is perhaps a familiar passage to a lot of you, especially for those of you who have been Christians for a while. Um, when I look at Psalm 63 and I say, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. For some of you, that song comes to mind. You know that song? Oh God, you are my God. If you know the song, raise your hands. And I will ever praise you. And I will seek you in the morning. And I know a lot of you don't know this song. (laughs) That's okay. That's all right. We write new songs, okay? Psalm 63 is a song. You can sing the song however you want it. But... As I'm trying to do this two nights ago, so as I'm trying to do this two nights ago, I'm like, okay, I want to just worship God. And I started singing that song, and, and I was playing on the piano on this. I started singing the song. Um, and then I felt like I needed to just move out of that structure of the song and just, you know, freely worship God. 
And so I just played a little chord progression and I was like, okay, God, you are my God. And what I ended up realizing, what I ended up doing and I felt like I was doing was I was just singing that first line, oh God, you are my God, over and over again. Like I felt I needed to do that. Like whatever the chord progression is, whatever, you know, the, the, the tune may sound like, uh, it was, oh God, you are my God. And as I did that, it became, it felt more intense. Like your spirit became uh, your spirit started coming alive as you're singing this, oh God, you are my God, oh God. It lasted for me maybe about five to ten minutes. And then I, I stopped for a while and I said, well, actually, uh, why did David say, oh God, you are my God? Oftentimes we look at it and go, oh, he's just basically saying, he makes it personal, right? You are my God, like, you know, like uh, uh, Melody is my wife, you know, or, um, or, or Pastor Lindy is my pastor, you know, that kind of thing. So we, you, you, you just, sing, you just say that the difference is the word my. But what I realized then was this. I said, well, let's, let's figure out if the word God there is the same word and carries the same meaning. And I realized this. The word God, the first time it is used, it says, oh God, is the word Elohim. Elohim is a term that is used to describe an almighty being, a deity, an almighty deity. Um, doesn't matter whether it's the Hebrew God or the Christian God or the Islamic God, whatever it is. It's a deity. All right? Elohim is a generic term for that. I said, okay, fine, oh God. And it's, it's commonly used in Scripture uh, when it refers to God. But then when you look at the second one, it says, oh God, you are my God. That word God there is not Elohim. It's El, E-L in Romanized. It's El, and it does not mean God in Elohim. It means the character of God, specifically God being almighty. So let's rephrase this. Oh Elohim, oh God, you are my Almighty. You are my El. Did it make a difference for you? It moved from the identity of God to the character of God. So I'm not just talking about God as in, yeah, there you are. I'm not just making it personal. I'm making it personal because of your character. In this case, an almighty God. The whole of Psalm 63 talks about David's longing for this Elohim who carries this El. In fact, he describes God more than just being almighty. He describes God in Psalm 63, verse 3. Your steadfast love is better than life. In verse 5, my soul, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. I don't know what your favorite food is. Maybe it's what you beef, maybe it's roti canai. But whatever that fills you, whatever that satisfies you, David says, my soul is satisfied with you, God, as if compared to the richest of foods. And so there is a description to David, the description by David of God, that tells us who God is to him. And when he tells us who God is to him, he describes it in such great detail. And it encourages me because then the question is, who is God to me? I may not be as poetic as David. But what I grasp from Psalm 63 is God is better than life. That God is worth so much more than anything he has. And he had a lot. God is worth so much more than any other form of joy that he has. God is worth so much more than the number of children he had or, the, or the, the, the riches that he had. And you know where he sung this? 
in the wilderness. Psalm 63, most of your Bibles will tell you where David was when he sang this song. In Psalm 63, it says that in the wilderness of Judah, there are two main, store, two main periods of time when David was in the wilderness. One before he became king. He was chased down by Saul. The second is after he became king, he was chased down by his son, Absalom. And in both scenarios, he was in the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that he declares who God is to him. Now, you may be in wilderness, you may not be. You may have a lot, you may be in want. But who is God to you? Because if God is worth so much more than life, if God is worth so much more than the riches of foods, if God is worth so much more than all we have, then if God tells us, focus on these things, we will prioritize. I was telling the second service just now, and I said, I obey my parents. Of course, in the second service, I said, my parents are not here. In the third service, my parents are here. So you, you can look at my parents and see if they nod their head or they shake their head, right? But I'm taught to learn and to obey, and then I, I try my best I can to obey my parents because I know they have authority over me. But over the years, as I grow up, the obedience comes not out of just the fact that there is authority. I begin to learn and understand their love for me and why certain things have to be done a certain way, why obedience is important, especially in this relationship. Why do we obey God? Why do we prioritize focusing on God? Why should we? Unless we know who God is to us. Who is God to you? My desire and my prayer is that we see God, even if it is not as poetic, as powerful and as purposeful as David saw God. So that when Jesus tells us, focus on these things in Luke chapter 12, we do it. Because He is worth so much more than life. He is worth so much more than we have. He is worth so much more than, than, than whatever we can equate as joy or as, as, as life to us. And that's my encouragement to you. There are three things in Luke chapter 12 that Jesus calls us to focus. Or three things, three aspects about focus. First one is to focus on Christ. The second is to focus on the kingdom. And the third is do not lose focus. And he gives us different examples of how we end up losing focus. So repeat this after me as we learn to focus, concentrate. Focus on Christ. Focus on the kingdom. Do not lose focus. The first one, focusing on Christ. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1 to 12, three stories are mentioned. Depending on how you look at your Bible, if it is split up into three, um, three parts. But the first one is a description. The first verse is actually a description. I thought this is very interesting. Thousands of the people gathered together. And so they were coming together to listen to Jesus. Right? Jesus is looking at all of these thousands of people. But it uses this word trampling. How many of you managed to get your Coldplay tickets? You can raise your hands, okay, one. Okay, never mind. So none of you trampled over one another on the internet payment gateway just to get your tickets, right? So, I mean, that's what it looks like, right? Thousands of people thronging together to want to hear Jesus. Like the thousands of us who tried to, especially purposely get CIMB card to get into the exclusive uh, ticketing buying uh, um, platform. Thousands of people coming together, wanting to, 
wanting to hear, wanting to say, and, and trampling over one another, like, you know, oh, sorry, okay, I step on you. Oops, I fall over you. Just to get close to Jesus. Just to hear what he's got to say. And then Jesus says this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, the disciples hearing it, are like, oh, sorry, what are you talking about? And so he explains, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And in verse 2 and 3, he talks about the fact that whatever you have hidden deep down inside, in the dark spaces of your heart, it will become exposed. People will see. People will know. God knows. The light will shine into those parts of your life and it will be exposed. So beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now the problem here is not the Pharisees. Jesus loves them. The problem is the character the problem is the attitude of hypocrisy. And, and while the Pharisees may have, I guess, demonstrated it so much that Jesus had to specifically call them out, the question though is this, when he looks at the crowds, is everyone really here for Jesus? Is everyone really here to follow him? Is everyone really here to say, I will give my life to becoming a disciple of this particular teacher after hearing what he's got to say? Two incidences come to mind. The first one is this. When Jesus said certain things that were very tough, very hard to swallow, people left. And Jesus told the disciples as he's looking at all these people leaving, he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Is every one of the thousand people who are trampling over one another to get to Jesus going to say the same thing? Because what it looks on the outside is people running, trampling over one another just to be close to Jesus. But is that what it says? Is that, what, is that what's going on in their hearts? That's the question. The second story is, is, is when Jesus is, 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 uh, comes face to face with a multitude of people and he tells them, actually, all you're here for is signs and wonders. What I've got to say, you're not going to accept. What I've got to say, you're not going to follow. You're just here to see me do miracles. What is going on in their hearts? Because whatever that is, the question Jesus has for us today is, is that what's going on in your heart? We can say, I go to church. We can say, I go to cell group. We can say, I pray. We can say, I do certain things. But the question is, is deep down inside your heart, is there deep down inside your heart a desire for Jesus and Jesus alone? Are you focused on Jesus? Or is your focus on Jesus just a facade for what is going on inside, instead of what's going on inside? And Jesus warns the disciples and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The question that I have for all of us is this, for example, why have we come to church? What have we come to church to see? Friends? Wonderful worship team? Atmosphere? Or Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you. Come to church to see Jesus. Come to church to encounter Jesus, to know Jesus, to say Jesus, like what we did just now, your name is above all names and I'm here to honour that name. That is why I'm here, Lord Jesus. Regardless of what takes place in my life, I am here to honour your name. Regardless of what takes place in my family, I am here to honour that name. And I declare that name over my family and over my life. 
But today, right now, Lord Jesus, I honour that name. What have we come to hear? A great sermon? One that tingles our ears or one that challenges us? One that calls us out to live lives better than we did before? One that challenges us to say, I want to be more like Jesus. We sang that today. What are we looking for? Jesus? Or some anointed speaker? Where is our focus? And Jesus says, focus on me. Sorry, not me, not Wayan. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Christ. Focus on Him. You know, one of the greatest ways, I mean, I've asked these questions to you, um, but one of the greatest ways for me to assess whether my inside and my outside is, is, is integral is at home. You know who are the people who, who, who easily sort of challenge you and cause you to understand or cause you to reflect on whether your church life and your home life are one and the same? Some of you may say, my wife. Okay. I say, my kids. You know why? Unfiltered, no cap. It's not like they know any much more uh, about life. And so they would say things like, Daddy, why are you so friendly in church, but then you scold us at home? And if the Holy Spirit is speaking from the mouth of babes, <laughs> you better listen. The thing is this, church. What Jesus calls us to do from Luke chapter 12, verse 1 to 12, is say, focus on me, both outside and inside. For some of you, the struggle is on the inside. And the answer to that is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 4 to 7. The answer for those of you who really struggle is because your fear is not for the one who both can kill the body but can cast your soul into hell. Your fear is those who can just damage your reputation, those who could probably just take your life, and that's it. It says, don't fear that. Because once your life is gone, there's nothing much they can do. But we all know that our soul and our spirit is sustained even though our body isn't. And what happens to our soul is in the hands of God. So focus on Christ. Focus on the one who, who has the authority to judge and to restore and to, and, to, and to place you in heaven. Focus on Christ. On the inside, remember whom to fear. And on the outside, for some of you, your struggle is, yeah, I really love Jesus, but really hard. On the outside... I'm scared. I fear the, the words of man. I fear the image that people may have of me or the reputation that they, that they may have of me. And Jesus says, acknowledge me before man and I will acknowledge you before the angels in heaven. The call for us to focus on Christ is both inside and outside to address the problem of hypocrisy. That your outside and your inside, same. That your inside fears the Lord, your outside acknowledges Christ. That's my encouragement to you, church. Because I know we go through struggles day after day, whether it's with your, in your homes, especially if you're, if you're relatives who are not believers, or at work, or with your clients, whatever those scenarios may be, 
There are times when you really feel like, hey, I should acknowledge Christ in this situation. And like, ah, uh, what, what, what might happen if, that, if I do? But if you acknowledge Christ before men, the promise of God is that you will be acknowledged before the Father and before the angels in heaven. If you fear the Lord, there is nothing, reputation, the enemy, death can do to your focus. And you will pursue God with your life. Focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. The second aspect of focus in Luke chapter 12 is to focus on the kingdom. So everybody say kingdom. And what Luke records here are essentially two passages that address a need to what we call, or what he calls, reprioritize. Reprioritize. Reprioritize from what? What were we like before? This was a focus on, one, the first story is a focus on material wealth. So I've got a lot. And the character that Jesus was addressing was greed or covetousness. The second scenario is when he's got nothing. So I don't have material wealth, I now have material needs. He's got nothing. And the character that Jesus is addressing is anxiety. And in these two scenarios, what Jesus is essentially telling us is this. You have to move your focus from either your greed or your covetousness or your anxiety to the kingdom of God. Let me pause here and ask this question. What does it mean to focus on the kingdom of God? A lot of times we see analogies take place, like, you know, treasures in heaven, being rich towards God. These are phrases that are used in Luke chapter 12. And sometimes we, we're boggled, like, what does that mean? Do I, does it mean that I have a bank account in heaven? Uh, does it mean that, you know, my goal is worth something in heaven? <laughs> it's not, huh? Uh, goal is road pavement. What, is, what does it mean to focus on the kingdom of God? And here's how I want to share it with you. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pause there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it came in the context, Matthew 6 comes in the context of what is called the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 to 7, which essentially, and, and you, you can follow our sermon series on this, is essentially a manifesto of the kingdom. A manifesto that tells us this is what kingdom culture looks like, this is what kingdom policy looks like, this is what kingdom finances look like, this is what kingdom character looks like. And when you see the whole of Matthew 5 to 7, and then you see the Lord's Prayer right smack in the middle saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're essentially declaring is this, the culture, the character of the kingdom up there is to be realized down here. So the world, looks at, the world has its own culture, but the culture of the kingdom is counter-cultural. And so we have to bring the kingdom culture into our lives today and change the culture of the world. And that is what we're declaring when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does kingdom culture look like? I'll give you a very simple example. Well, I'll say simple just because I know where you, to refer you to. 
Living it out is a different story. The early church in Acts, once Jesus, had, once Jesus had, had ascended back into heaven and the Holy Spirit came down on them, there is a description of how they lift out kingdom culture in their lives. And it's, and it's a culture of generosity. It's a culture of stewardship. It's a culture of community. It's a culture of boldness as they declared the gospel. It's a culture that brings in signs and wonders to back up the good news of the gospel. That kind of culture, that kind of love, that kind of joy, that kind of support is kingdom culture. That is an example. There are many other examples of what it looks like, but essentially when I bring in the character of the kingdom, the way Jesus describes it to us in the Sermon on the Mount, onto earth, one, it is countercultural. The second, that's what we're called to bring. That's what we're called to live. And so if someone has material wealth and is greedy about it and keeps it for himself and, and, and wants to use all of it for himself, and that's what Luke chapter 12 tells you, this parable of this rich fool who keeps all of this for himself, stores up in barns to say, hey, I can opt for early retirement. Eat, drink, be merry, relax. I've got enough. Then Jesus' answer to this is, you're not focusing on the kingdom. If today, if your life is taken and your soul is required of you, all that you have for what? It's wasted. Or if you have material needs, and you say, wow, oh, really, I call to survive. Lah. I need to focus on getting a job. I need to focus on making sure I have enough in my bank account. I need to focus on all of these things. And it causes you anxiety. Jesus' answer to that is, your father knows what you need. Can you focus on the father's kingdom? The father's kingdom culture. The father's kingdom and his purposes. And know that the father will be with you. And will support you and will sustain you. And that is why in the Lord's Prayer, you can then say, give us this day our daily bread. The parable of the rich fool is not talking about whether you should build barns or store your investments, or keep your houses. That's not the point. The point is greed. The point is covetousness. The point is looking at all of the wealth that he has and saying, that's for me. Because when he does that, the question is, whose vision has he pursued? His own. Who is he accountable to? Himself. Who does he live for? Himself. Whose world, who, who, who does his world revolve around? His own. And he lives within that myopic view of life not focused on the kingdom of God, focused on himself. And Jesus' warning is this. When your soul is taken from you, who is going to... Where, where is that wealth going to go? Where is all your barns and your grain and, and whatever you, you've invested in, where is that going to go? You fail to fear the one who has the, who has the authority to cast your soul into hell. You fail to focus on Christ. You fail to... To, to, to see the purposes beyond your own life. And as a result of that, all that you have amassed, all that treasure you have, is of no value to you anymore. There are many of us here who have a lot. Let's not deny that. God has blessed us with a lot. 
God has blessed us with the ability to work with our hands and to earn a substantial, sizable income with the work of our hands. And I thank God for what He has blessed me with. But the question then is this, with all that we have, are we amassing it for ourselves or are we still focused on the kingdom? And the question that Jesus has for us today, if that is you, is this, who or what have we placed our trust in? This man placed his trust on his assets. And he said, I've got a lot of assets, it will sustain me, I'm good to go. I'm set for life. He relied on his wealth for his smooth sailing days, and because of that, he would not part from his wealth. The next question is this. What treasure are you collecting? Are you amassing? What treasure are you pursuing? In fact, if you have all these earthly treasures, are these earthly treasures used to pursue treasures in heaven? Are you using what you've God has blessed you with and God has given you to pursue kingdom purposes? That is the question to all of us today. What are we doing with what God has given us? It will tell you whether you're focused on the kingdom or not. The people in the early church in Acts chapter 4 tell you that what God has blessed them was used for the kingdom. It's a really crazy example of generosity. But because they were so moved by God, so moved by the Holy Spirit, so caught up with the will and the passion and the desire of God for lives and for His church, they would give it up. And that is the power of the gospel at work when they're focused on the kingdom. There are those of you here, and I'm not discounting that, that you have material needs. Jesus acknowledges it. Jesus understands. The entire passage talking about, yes, I know if you have worries about food, about clothes, about money, look at the lilies of the field, look at, look at the, the birds. But in this section, Jesus does what I call, he pulls out the F card. F for Father. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations, verse 30, for all the nations seek after these things. So you're no different from everybody else at this point. Everybody worries about whether they get food, whether they get clothes, whether they have enough money, whether they'll survive. All the nations seek after these things. But then he says, and your father knows that you need them. And your father knows that you need them. So he says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Similar to Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But I want to point out something very interesting. Jesus, in Luke's record, goes further. Verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure. Everybody say, good pleasure. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
I think that was a hymn. I can't remember, I can't put my finger on it. For, that, for some of you who know, please let me know. But it says there that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I remember hearing this before, and, and, and my father has told me this before, I'm not sure if he remembers, but he says, don't worry, not just does God own the cattle, he owns the hills. And we all know land is more valuable than cattle. And here's the picture of the kingdom of the Father. It is not just a kingdom where there's a king and everybody says, oh, hail the king. This is a kingdom where the king is also a father. And it makes a whole world of difference because now you understand the king is not out for himself. The king, because he carries the character of the father, is out for you too. And so he supports you, he encourages you, he sustains you, he enables you, he empowers you, he guides you, he died for you. So that you would be able to not just live out the best life that, you, that, that God has designed for you, but that you fulfill the kingdom purposes because this is what the Father's heart is all about. And so when he pulls out the Father card, he is assuring those, and those of you here, who have material needs. And yes, we understand as much as, well, Jesus understands it more, the anxiety that you go through and the worry that you go through because you're trying to put food on the table. And it says, can you focus on the kingdom? Because the Father's kingdom is about love, is about joy, is about peace. And the heart of the Father is to support you, is to sustain you, and to give you your daily bread. And as you focus on the kingdom, all these things will be added to you. Some of you are in major debt. Some of you may have really nothing left. But my encouragement to you from the Word of God and from the authority of Scripture is that when you focus on the kingdom, when you focus on saying, okay, God, this is all I have. What does kingdom culture look like? With what I have and what can I do for my people, the people around me? My encouragement to you is live out that kingdom culture Live out the good news of Jesus Christ and God will give you your daily bread. Focus on the kingdom. Focus on the kingdom. That is why one of the questions that I've put up here, for those of you who, whether you have material wealth or material needs, is the big question, to whom does your hope lie? Where do you place your hope? Where do you place your hope, church? In your wealth? If you have nothing, maybe you place your hope in your ability to try and make wealth. Like, I've got to do this. I've got to rely on my strength and my energy or I've got to you know, take on two jobs or three jobs or whatever it is just so that I can make enough money. Where does your hope lie? Is it in the Father who sees what you need who knows what you need and will sustain you every step of the way. Focus on Christ. Focus on the kingdom. And as I look at this, I remember my little boppets. Focus! Concentrate! Because the rest of Luke 12 is Jesus telling us how to not lose focus. There are four things that Jesus says here, but I want to focus on the first. 
Because I think that really applies to all of us in, in, as servants of God, as believers in our lives. And the first one is this, stay alert. Everybody say, stay alert. Stay alert. Nudge the person in your eyes. Stay alert. Right? If the person is, is able, you just open your eyes. Stay alert. Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 48 tells of two incidences. Again, these are parables. These are examples that Jesus gives. And so the purpose of parables is not to tell a true story. The purpose of parables is to poke you or stab you or nudge you depending on the phrase, siapa makan cili, dia rasa pedasa. All right? And so, and so this is what Jesus is doing. And, and in the story, there is one fellow who makan cili, right? His name is Peter. In the first scenario, Jesus says, Blessed is the servant whom the master finds awake when he comes. So the story is this. He's a servant of the master. The master goes out of the country or goes out of this house, does whatever he needs to do. When he comes back, if the servant is awake and not asleep, ready to serve the master the moment he arrives, blessed is that servant. I mean, I'd be happy if I'm the master and I come back and I go, okay, who's going to wash my feet today? And then the servant comes, right up, sir. And then he washes your feet. Wash my feet. Not, not in modern day context. Okay, wash my feet back in those days. All right? Um, where, where that was cultural. It was, that was the case. Or if I say, oh, I'm hungry. Lah. I haven't eaten the whole day, you know. Um, can I get some food? Right away, sir. And then the servant comes and gives me food. Blessed is that servant. And sometimes you look at this question and you go, oh, if that's the case, uh, maybe it's talking about salvation. Like, you know, make sure that I'm, I, I'm ready when Jesus comes back. And my point to you is this. It is not just about that. Because there are two times that Jesus moves. One, he comes back. Second, is when he is moving in your church, in your time, and you miss it. Blessed is the servant who, when he sees Jesus moves, responds and flows with him. So when the master comes and he says, I'm here, are we ready? Are we alert enough to be ready to respond and flow and serve our Lord Jesus Christ when he calls us? Stay alert. Do not lose focus. Focusing on Christ and focusing on the kingdom allows you to stay alert when Jesus says, I'm moving you know, we're so involved with what goes on in Sarawak. We're so involved in what goes on in Sabah. We're so involved in what God is moving in our nation today and, and what God has called us as a church. And I thank God for that because we want to stay alert and flow with God where He is moving. And I know many of us, either you volunteer or you serve whatever it is, even in your own cell groups, and you see God move in healing, or when you see God move in, in, in restoring someone's family relationships, and you're there like, God, I am here. I want to participate. I want to serve with you. I want to flow with you in what you are doing. That is blessedness, church. Because when the master is moving, we're flowing. We're ready. We are alert. That's the first incident. And then Peter... He says, well, Jesus, are you saying this for his disciples or for everybody? And then Jesus gives another example. And he says, well, hold up. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, verse 42. And the Lord said in reply to Peter, Luke 12, 42, 
Who then is the faithful? Everybody say faithful. Faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So we had the first incident. When the master comes back, I'm ready. The second incident is when the master comes back and yes, I'm ready. He says, show me the accounts. How have you been using my finances? Have you been investing? Have you been taking care of it properly? Have you been paying all my debts or whatever I need to pay to keep this house going? And you show the accounts and it's not ready. Or it's in the red. He looks at his kids and he goes, are they well fed? Because that's your job. And he says, well, McDonald's. And he says, no, I want good nutritious food on the table. You're not doing your job. Blessed is the servant who takes care of the household, who serves the master, not when the master sees, but when the master isn't seeing, and does all he can to serve the purposes of a master when he was away. Now, obviously, we know Jesus is here, Holy Spirit is here, he, he sees everything, but the question, therefore, to us is this We are accountable are we able to account to God of our servanthood? Are we able to account to God that this is what we've done? Are we able to account to God with our heads held high and say, God, I thank you for what you've blessed me with. I thank you for skills. I thank you for finances. I thank you for lives that you've entrusted to me to take care of, to raise as disciples of Jesus Christ. And I want to come before you and say, yes, there are times where I've not done so well but I want to be that blessed servant God who say, I, I want to be focused on Christ. I want to be focused on the kingdom. And I want to stay alert so that when you come, I'm there for you. But even while you're still away, I am still living out and serving you. There is a great danger as to what the, the, master, say, the master says about the servant in the rest of Luke chapter 12, verse 42 to 48. The kind of Treatment that the servant does to his house, to, to the master's household, and he says, No blessedness. But if we support the Lord's household, if we support the Lord's purposes, if we support and live out kingdom culture in our lives, focused on Christ, focused on the kingdom, alert at every point in time, there is a blessedness that comes with it. I want to end with three other ways that we might lose focus in the rest of Luke chapter 12. The first one is distraction. In Luke chapter 12, verse 49 to 53, he talks about, Jesus talks about the fact that he has himself a calling. This is what the Father has sent him to do. And as he pursues this calling, it is not easy. We see in the story of Jesus the temptations that, tried, that the enemy had did to try and distract him for it. They try and disqualify him from achieving the purpose that God had called, the Father had called him to. And right up till Gethsemane, Jesus prays to the Father and says, really, please take this cup of suffering away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he describes it to the disciples and says, I'm in so much anguish, so much distress, because I know what I am called to do, I know what it requires of me, but I 
but because I want to see it accomplished, I have so much distress, but I will see it accomplished. And we thank God for that. We thank Jesus Christ because He saw it accomplished despite the situations and despite the pain and the agony that He went through. He's teaching us not to lose focus. Even if it calls us into difficult times, even if it calls us to discard or to reject notions of glory and power for the cross, we don't want to be distracted. Don't lose focus, church. Second one, desensitization. He tells the people, you know, you can tell the time. Meteorological department can tell you whether it's going to rain, whether it's going to be a typhoon, whether it's, whether it's going to be really hot. But can't you interpret the present time in the Spirit? Or have you been desensitized to the Holy Spirit speaking to you? The challenge that Jesus has for, here, for us here today is this. When you do not lose focus, what I want you to do is to rely on the Spirit. Be sensitive to what the Spirit is telling you. When I move, it is the Spirit showing you this is what Jesus is doing. This is what God is doing in that season. And so if you are alert and sensitive to the Spirit, you will be able to flow with what God is doing. And the last one is dispute. Relationship. Interesting about this story is it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. The fact is, your accuser is taking you to court. Settle with Him. Focus on the kingdom. Focus on what God has called us to do. Let these disputes be laid by the wayside. Work it out. Settle it so that you can focus on the kingdom. Focus on what God has called you to do. Focus on Christ. Focus on the culture that God has called us to live out. Church, this is what Jesus has called us for. I want to encourage you, first of all, who is, to ask this question, who is God to me? If Jesus is worth much more than your life, than your enjoyment, than your wealth, than your needs, then let's pursue Jesus. Let's focus on Him. Let's focus on the Kingdom. Because that's who He is. That is the power of Jesus Christ. That is the character of Jesus Christ. That is the character of God over our lives. And when we see that, we say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to focus on Christ. I want to focus on the kingdom. And I want to live out my life pursuing this without losing focus. There are many things the world will throw at us. You know this. You have gone through these, and these, these struggles in your life. All I'm saying here is on the authority of Scripture, I want to remind you, this is what God is encouraging us to do. Focus concentrate whether it comes out of this or my voice now that you've heard me say it or whether it's in a book you've read or Luke chapter 12 focus concentrate on Christ and His kingdom shall we rise church we rise we want to worship God but before I do or before we do there are two things that I want to just uh, invite you to call up. The first one, and I want to just honour those of you who are here and you may not know Jesus personally. This may be the first time you're in church or maybe you've come a, a, 
or several times. You've had conversations perhaps about Jesus, but you've never really made a decision in your life that says, I, I want to know who this Jesus is. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to, to not just know Him in my head, I, I want to know Him in my heart. At the second service, someone came up uh, and, and said, this is the step I want to take. And I praise God for that. And I want to just encourage any of you here, just for this short period of time, I give you a window of opportunity to respond. If you've heard about Jesus and you want to know Jesus as someone who is our Lord, our Saviour, our Father, God as our Father, and you've never had this done before, and today you feel like you want to make this decision to know Jesus and to follow Jesus, can I just invite you to raise your hand just high enough so that I can see, so that the pastors are able to see. Because I want to pray with you and for you. It's a big step. Some of you here perhaps have thought this through to some extent, or maybe you haven't, but you feel today that there is this tugging inside your heart that says, I want to know Jesus. If that is you, can I just invite you to just raise your hands. I'll give you a few seconds to do that so you can respond to us and we can pray with you and for you. seconds thank you Lord the next one I want to just give out a call for is this you've looked at the whole list focus on Christ focus on the kingdom do not lose focus question is maybe I've not been staying alert question is maybe I've been distracted or desensitized or as far as uh, the distractions are concerned or as far as losing focus is concerned I have disputes that I've not settled. And today is a reminder for you, and today has been a reminder for you as you've listened and the Holy Spirit is working out in your life to remind you and say, come, let's focus on Christ, focus on the kingdom. That little boppet there tells me to focus and concentrate, not in a judging way, but in an encouraging way. Like, do this again, but focus, concentrate. And I feel that's what Luke 12 is to us, to remind us that yes, there are times when you may have lost focus, there may be times when you have been distracted, but let's come back, let's realign, let's focus on Christ and His kingdom. And so if that is you and the Holy Spirit is prompting you or speaking to you, whatever that, whatever that issue may be in your life, I want to invite you to come to the front so that we can pray for you. And as we pray for you, we're we're not just, you know, praying over that situation that you may have, but we want to see that the Holy Spirit empowers you to, to realign. Realign to Magnetic North. Realign to Christ. Realign to His purposes. Because as a church, this is where we want to go. We want to be a church that is aligned with the purposes of God because its people are aligned with the purposes of God. So we're going to worship and we're going to sing this song more like Jesus. As we do, I want to encourage you, any one of you who wants to come up for prayer, we want to pray for you and support you. You can come on your own. You can come as a couple, with your families. If you say, this is something that God has called us to as a family, we want to respond. And I encourage you to respond. Let's worship God.
Lord, we want to just declare. We want to declare, Father God, that in our lives, we want to commit our focus to you and your kingdom. We pray that nothing else will pull us away from this focus. We pray that nothing else the enemy will throw, nothing else that the world may, 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 may attract us to will distract us from you and your kingdom. Whether we have a lot or we have little, whether image or reputation may be tarnished, we want to come before you and say we want to be focused on you and the kingdom. We want to bring culture, kingdom culture in our lives. We want to address the love of God into people's lives. We want to bring light. We want to bring the good news of the gospel. We want to focus and we want to concentrate on that calling, God. And I pray for each and every one of us here and bless in the name of Jesus with the ability and with the sustenance and with the power of God with the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of us that enables us to say, I'm going to go out and focus on Christ and the kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we may go for lunch, but as we do, we remember you. As we do, we honour you. As we do, we speak your name, we speak your life into relationships, into conversations, to give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God glory. Even as, even as ministry continues, I just want to invite you, you may leave, but please leave quietly so that ministry can continue in this place. If you need prayer, feel free to come down and speak with us so that we can pray with you and encourage you. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week.